Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. Well, today is a bit of a different episode for us, uh, mainly because we changed our plans on it about two hours before recording. Uh, we were planning on doing a politics episode today, so we were going to go through some of the talking points of, of the news stories that have been happening over in America the last few weeks, but then we actually made a list of the things that, that would involve talking about. And we, well, we were all very depressed, and I, I think we had to walk Vaughn back from an, uh, from the ledge, basically, because um, talk, talking about some of these things was just, it was not going to be an enjoyable experience for us, and probably wouldn't have made a much uh, podcast for you guys. So, Instead, we're going to spend a very short amount of time at the beginning just talking about a couple of stories, one in particular, which is very close to Vaughn's heart. And then huh. from there, uh, we're actually going to do um, a little bit of a, a different style of podcast because we're actually going to be talking about our other podcasts that we have. Um, between Toby, Vaughn and myself, we're sort of branching out and doing other things sort of tangentially related to um, American history uh, one way or another. And we've got some other podcasts up and running and uh, at least another one in, in the works as well. So uh, that's going to be fun to discuss those ones. But let's start where we always start and where Vaughn starts each and every day. And that's talking about Dr. Oz. Um, he is running for a Senate um, Senate seat in Pennsylvania. And I be- believe he's currently in the midst of a battle in the primary election with Republicans against uh, David McCormick, I think his name is. Um, huh? Vaughn. Vaughn, the floor is yours. What would you like to talk about with Dr. Oz? Um, ideally nothing, but he's running for Pat Toomey's seat, his Senate seat in Pennsylvania. Um, and as we know, I am originally from Pennsylvania. My family and friends still live there. So I'm still technically a Pennsylvania voter. Um And this is just awful, and I hate it. I hate every part of the Republicans' Senate race. So there are two candidates who are vying for um, Toomey's seat, and they are, as you just said, David McCormick and Dr. Oz, who I don't know if I can stress this enough to you guys, is a fucking fool. Like, he's an ex-TV fucking host who just pushes these bullshit medical like in in massive quotes medical kind of cures and miracles and all of this bullshit um he's even worse than dr phil and that's just sad so anyway david mccormick he's a head hedge fund manager for bridgewater associates he still has 50 million dollars in stocks in bridgewater um as of his most recent um, holdings report. He is a native Pennsylvanian, unlike Oz, um, but he has lived in Connecticut for at least eight years as a registered voter. And conveniently, he bought a house in Pennsylvania in November 2021 before launching his bid for the Senate seat in January. His platform is that he wants to streamline the pipeline permitting process um, in a bid for energy independence. 
And he's also leaning heavily on domestic energy production, specifically with oil, which is relatively a good move for Pennsylvania as commercial oil production started in Pennsylvania in the 1850s, I think 1856. Um, He also wants to make Trump era tax cuts permanent and he's campaigning on finishing the border wall. So real winner over here. He served in the Bush administration as undersecretary of international affairs in the treasury and his wife served in the Trump administration as a top national security aide. Um, Mike Pompeo and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and a couple other Trump uh, aides and secretaries and people, they are all backing McCormick. And if he wins, he would be one of the wealthiest senators with a combined $366 million net worth between him and his wife. And then you have Dr. Oz, who's just a piece of shit. He's from Ohio and has lived in Jersey for years, but conveniently registered to vote at his in-law's house, which is like 20 minutes from where I grew up. So real proud of my state and area. Um, His campaign is really focused on, I mean, campaign is also in scare quotes, but (laughs) focused on the COVID response and really, really using the puns on his like medical jargon of like where our country is flatlining and it's fucking it's don't go to his campaign site um but he's focusing on the covid response and most of his platform is essentially that shutdowns are bad um but he is also centering energy independence like mccormick his campaign site has a lot of just buzzwords like election security and cancel culture and get tough on china And he made this just like horrible campaign video of him trying to look tough with a gun. That's that one's pretty funny. I would I would look that up. Yeah, that that very that very much is one that you should check. If you can if you can separate from how fucking abysmal the U.S. is with their gun use, um, then it's a it's a humorous video. It's very thirty rock as well. Oh, extremely thirty rock. Yeah. Yeah, he has another one where he's in a grocery store and like trying to buy crudite and salsa for his wife is the gimmick there and he's just picking up like carrots or four dollars and it's like have you never been to a grocery store ma'am but obviously you haven't because you're dr oz oh god uh anyway his platform is almost entirely just culture war talking points and then last week he tweeted that roe was wrongly decided And that SCOTUS would be right in overturning it. So thanks for that, doctor. Um, So yeah, to to kind of sum up, there's a deadlock race at the moment because for some reason, both of these idiots are really popular in Pennsylvania. And it's come down to like a 0.5% difference, I think in the ballots. So that is going to push them into an automatic recount per Pennsylvania voting laws. Um, Trump is backing Dr. Oz and said on election night that they should, that Dr. Oz should just claim it for himself because it's a lot harder for um, people to say he didn't actually win if he claims it. It's like, well, that didn't really work out for you. Um, 
but great advice there, POTUS. So, yeah, deadlock race still hasn't been decided between this like self-interested multimillionaire and a slimy, skeezy, disgusting traveling salesman backed by this like treasonous wannabe multimillionaire. Um, And I'm just tired. I'm just really tired. (laughs) I hate that this is a deadlock in Pennsylvania. There have been a lot of people saying that they want Dr. Oz to win the primary so that there's a landslide win for the Democrats in November. But I think that's really fucking risky. I think that's really risky. I think both of these candidates are risky and terrible. Um, Because we know that like the clown option can win and does Mm. win many times over in the U.S. So I don't think it's really a safe bet to say like, oh, if Dr. Oz wins, then he's definitely going to lose in in the general. I think I have no more hope. And that's where I'm at. Also, Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor, he's a Republican running for governor of Pennsylvania. um, He was on video crossing the barricades at the Capitol on January 6th. You know, like fuck consequences for treason right so well i was gonna ask you can answer it there um is there a, a sense that this is worse because how much of a clown he is like if you just like is are his politics just like standard republican or has he gone it's kind of hard to say what a standard republican these days because they've basically just fallen into the web of, of trump i mean is he just sort of sort of slightly less version of Trump? Is that kind of what he's positioned himself on? Is he very much sort of Trump-lite kind of thing? I, oh, that's a good question. I don't think he's Trump-lite. Well, okay, so Trump for all of his faults and his idiocy and his just evilness, Mm -hmm. there there was some amount of substance behind it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. There had to be some amount of substance. I have to believe that there was some amount of substance for him to get into the Oval Office. I don't think Dr. Oz has any substance at all. I think, like, if you look at his campaign site, it looks like a school project. Like, it's Mm -hmm. buzzwords, and it's just, it's stupid. Like, it doesn't make sense. He doesn't really have a platform I think he's going off of name recognition and he's writing that Trump was backing him, but like Trump backs anyone from TV, right? Like fucking my pillow guy and Dr. Oz, like how are, what is wrong with America? (laughs) Oh my God. It's funny how, how America has, I mean, really embraced this idea of TV personalities and the, the quest to basically put aside intellectuals in favor of like, I don't know, the the guy with name recognition who isn't talking down to me kind of thing, which is just really, yeah. really worrying. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to discount like celebrities and actors and all of their, their political opinions. They're still citizens. They're still allowed to have. No, I'm, I'm going to discount. I'm going to discount those people. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you, you can, but I'm not. I am going to discount the people who we see. We see what they are doing. And Dr. Oz for decades has been this asshole who's like pushing these like miracle cure pills and like weight Mm. loss supplements 
and this ointment will grow all of your hair back. And like, he's clearly this like smarmy traveling salesman, like douchebag, you know, you know, how, like televangelists who have these, these massive channels and, and shows and networks and everything they in the 1800s would have been traveling like preachers right and they would be fucking run out of town they their their goal was to go into a town and like get everyone to give their money to god and then they got the fuck out of town because they knew that they were scamming people and now with tv you can scam people 24 7 in their living room like you don't have to go to different towns to do this and for some reason you get all of this credit and people are like, oh, but he's he's a godly man or he's a doctor and he knows what he's saying. It's the same thing for traveling salesmen and it's the exact same thing for Dr. Oz. He's a piece of shit and he goes on these like pseudoscientific homeopathic like journeys and just he's he scams people like we know that he is a grifter. We know he is. He has been in the news and on TV for decades as a grifter. And you really want to vote for him? Like, I'm not saying Doug uh, David McCormick is a better candidate. I don't want either of them. But it just blows my fucking mind that Dr. Oz is even a serious candidate. That they're in a deadlock. Like, the hedge fund manager... The, the multimillionaire who we can see is just clearly doing this so that he can have tax breaks. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. That makes sense. And I can be like, okay, that, that makes sense for America. I get that. But we've gone into such a weird fucking timeline where people like Dr. Oz are now allowed to grift in the Senate, but in like a different realm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like, hawking these like well actually it is because big pharma oh fuck oh god i hate it i hate it all so much well i'm glad you got that off your chest phone and i'm, I'm sure everything is going to work out fine for pennsylvania they've uh, I'm sure they've had no history of ever liking anyone who was bad um oh yeah really <laughs> really, trust, really trust that one uh toby i was going to ask you obviously you're not as emotionally involved in pennsylvania politics as vaughn is um do you miss the sort of clown show that is trump what like is there a part of you that kind of misses the sheer bizarreness of having that in the white house or are you just completely over um the sort of clown show side of, of politics well i would say you know the trump uh, follow-on shows have not been as exciting not been interesting i don't I think um dr oz or particular politicians in florida have been able to compete with what trump trump was able to give us i think trump probably top three funniest people of the last hundred years i would agree with that yeah those those, those people are on the same level and yeah i think I, and i probably would also say that i disagree with Vaughn on this idea that obviously you have a hedge fund manager and, you know, he's in for tax breaks and other people in the state are inter- certainly interested in, in tax breaks. And that, that all seems rational and normal and just like sleazy, but just, you know, normal right wing politics. I feel like people like this, like Trump, like Dr. Oz, people like this 
are kind of natural human leaders because like I don't think we are rational or logical or whatever I, I feel like if someone can sell you on on something and just and it just either inspires you or he's just got like a kind of like weird charismatic leadership or someone who just seems like an authority figure because they're a little strange I, I think I feel like that's kind of what Boris Johnson has as well you know like with his messy hair is like very affected upper class accent it, all his like all his stupidity and all his lying or all this stuff like I feel like people like that I don't think it's like unnatural for people like that because I feel like people look at someone like that and think well you know it's that's a survivor that's someone who's interesting and it's it's sad to say but I I, I really do think people people are attracted to that kind of thing I, I don't know why but they they seem to be and that's it's certainly oh, in America the the snake hole salesman is, is someone who's going to continue to ex- succeed so I think it's like the, the Andrew Jackson kind of thing. Yeah, no, exactly. It, like you can see yourself in the person and they're especially right now in this kind of cultural climate when we hate experts um, and intellectuals so much that we just we want someone to tell us what's comforting because none of the truth at the moment is comforting at all and dr oz is willing to do that i think and he's willing to like rile people up against the truth Mm -hmm. um especially in his covid responses because at least you can say like oh he's a doctor which is questionable and columbia dropped him um yeah but you got you you have to do work if someone says they're a doctor then some people are going to believe them you know, you have to do a little bit of work yeah. to find out that what they're saying is is, is some bullshit. Yeah, no, exactly. But I, I think it, like, lends legitimacy to the bullshit to be yeah, like, no, oh, exactly. Dr. Oz. So, like, I think there's there's a mixture between seeing yourself in, like, his personality and being comforted by that. Mm-hmm. And then also he has questionable, but he has credentials that you can say he is official. He is legit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do get it. I just, I just don't. I think it's the same thing with Trump as well. Like I think I brought up when I was yeah. talking to Simon Reynolds and Simon about um, there's a YG song called "Fuck Donald Trump," but he premises the song by saying, "You know, I re- used to respect you. You, you were a guy I saw it was about the business." And like, why would you respect Trump before he became a politician? He was just this sleazy mm-hmm. real estate guy. But a lot of people see that and they see what they feel a rich person is like and what they want they want to be someone who gets to say whatever they want they can have the they could be a businessman or they could be a doctor but then they're also relatable to who they are as well and i think they see that in these kinds of characters and i think that's why you know again it's like not just uh, it's it's a sleazy salesman all this but also like what what you brought up in the last section like they see themselves in these people as well yeah, I, can I was just gonna. Sorry, Bon. I was just gonna agree with what you were saying at the start, which I think is the the anti intellectual movement. I think really has 
taking grip, uh, not just America. I think you, you see that elsewhere. Um, and I, I think sadly we're, we are seeing that at a moment in time where we really can't allow that to happen. What with, you know, COVID and climate change and everything else happening. Sorry, you were saying. No, I just, I was, I was just going to say, like, I, I agree with both of you and I, I do get it. I just wish it wasn't the case because mm-hmm. like you say, Toby, like, why would anybody respect Trump even before he was a politician? Like he was, he was terrible. He was sleazy. We knew that he was like bankrupting companies for profit. Like we knew these things. And mm-hmm. about Dr. Oz, we know that he is this traveling salesman kind of, ugh, just scum. He's scum. <laughs> And I just wish Dr. Oz as well. He had some specificity to this this new paradigm we're we're dealing with in terms of uh, Roe versus Wade, because he said that, um, as Vaughn mentioned, that he's 100% pro-life, but has also made statements. He says, you know, as a doctor, you know, I've seen desperate people needing to use uh, coat hangers and all, all this, and I think it's really bad and he's you know made statements as like no one simply decides to to have an abortion but he's effectively doing the kind of thing that happened pre-row as in like he wants this to be a state-based decision he doesn't understand why people can't make this decision legislatively but then but he's also and he's also justifying um himself why he has a mixed opinion on this but this is a mixed opinion that's not that is a mixed opinion that everyone can have like um dr oz can have an opinion someone else can have an opinion and then we we decide at a state level it's no longer a right as well and 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 so dr oz isn't isn't even coming across as a as a you know right-wing christian who's uh, totally against abortion, but he's setting a precedent in future for a world where this is something that is just going to be decided by the, the opinions of people on the ground, and, and it's not going to be a, a right in, in the state anymore. Right. Uh, let's move on to the podcasts then, shall we? Um, so we have collectively some podcasts going on um, outside of Impressions of America. And the first one we're going to talk about is, well, it's one that I suppose kind of originated on Impressions of America when we did a a Star Wars uh, episodes a little while ago. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, I sort of bullied Vaughn into doing a Star Wars podcast. I think that's, as memory serves, that's how it went. That Um, is how that went. Right. Let's start by playing a clip from The Joy of Star Wars. So for today's theory... I suggest that the history of corruption in the U.S. is akin to that in these episodes of Clone Wars and elsewhere in the Star Wars universe. That the shortages of every kind and the shady deals government officials are making on Mandalore and elsewhere are akin to the financial and wealth inequalities, particularly of the Gilded Age, but also today, forcing citizens to seek inauthentic means or keeping them beholden to a corrupted system at every turn, such as with the healthcare system in the U.S., I also want to posit that I think it's incredible and necessary and just brilliant for Clone Wars to foreground educating children on the evils of corruption and to do so so successfully. 
Vaughn, do you want to just um, elaborate on what, what the show's about? Yeah. So we've done several episodes now, I think six or seven-ish. Um, and there's there are a couple different fields to it. So um, we've now at this point done two deep dives into episode four and episode five, where the three of us talk about um, lots of different categories of best moments in the film and best use of music in the film, um, best use of main characters, all of those kinds of things. And we really get into the nitty gritties of each of the films. Um, And then also like production notes around it, fun stuff like that. But the kind of core content of Joy of Star Wars has been and will continue to be this connection between American history and Star Wars. Um, So in each episode, I put forward a historical connection to Star Wars. And um, I give a longish 15, 20 minute kind of lecture on the history of that historical topic and then tie it back together with Star Wars. So for instance, um, our most recent episode of that type was indoctrination. And we talked about the history of what indoctrination means in American history. And that got into topics of McCarthyism and the the fears of communist indoctrination in the mid-century, in the the second um, Red Scare in the U.S. And how that ekes into education, how there are fears of teachers indoctrinating students into a certain way of beliefs, and normally, almost always, politically, at least in American history. And that, of course, led up to current events, um, especially with Florida and some of their bans on what you can and cannot say in a classroom, the book bans across the country, and this this genuine fear of indoctrination. And then to link that to Star Wars and think about the kind of um, cultural signifiers that we can see within the films and the shows and all of the Star Wars content, um, that linked up with how the Jedi and the Sith use indoctrination for their young ones. Um, And also how Anakin kind of was indoctrinated by the Jedi and then again re-indoctrinated by Palpatine and the Sith and how that was his kind of villainous turn was that both of the indoctrination techniques that were used on him they they kind of broke him um, and he ended up with the Sith. So we talk a lot about that, um, things like that, putting forward a historical theory. And then we end each episode with a quiz to make it a bit more lighthearted. <laughs> um, and those are always really fun. One of our very good friends, Daniel, does the quizzes for us. So Simon asks us questions and Steele and I just riff on whatever comes up and normally it leads to us talking about how attractive ewan mcgregor is that is a common theme of the show (laughs) it's been on every attractive (gasps) toby if you saw ewan mcgregor on a bus without his beard 
okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say he's attractive with his beard, but that was you wouldn't you wouldn't notice this person. I don't think he's that attractive. I would, I would certainly notice you and McGregor. Well, he wouldn't be you and McGregor. He'd just be a guy would, on the bus who looks. I normal. would be very attracted to him. <laughs> nope. 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 Carry on with the podcast. I was just going to say, Toby, this is like your Harrison Ford isn't that handsome approach. So, um... <laughs> well, that wasn't, what, said in, that wasn't said on the podcast, so it's not a canonical Toby thing. You can't pull DM stuff. I, I was going to say, are you just going after all Vaughn's men? <laughs> <laughs> that's because we choose Vaughn's men now. Um, I think that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think you've done a good enough job, and I think me and Simon are going to start choosing. So, but and and uh, uh, laying the line down that you and McGregor isn't that attractive is, I think, part of this. You guys choose my men now. Yes, I mean, isn't I, I isn't, think... isn't this? Well, I thought this was clear. I, I... <laughs> I thought we had like an X Factor style audition for your men. I thought that's you know. That's how we were going. My contract now. Yes, Do I get to is. choose the women? You get yeah, to choose, you choose the women. Yeah, you get to choose the women, and you get to help me choose who goes to Paris with Toby. Yeah, that's fine. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So you know, it's sort of a democracy. We're all sort Balance of. Out. Yeah. That's definitely not a democracy. That's not what a democracy is, Simon. I think a democracy is where you handpick men for your friends. I think that's absolutely. What, I think that's what a democracy is. That, Toby, yeah. Toby backs me up on this one. No, that's how Supreme Court judges are picked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I was so I'm say... just I'm just a little Ginny Thomas, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Many would say you're a lifelong appointment to men. Um, right, okay. okay. <laughs> Many men would say that, but they Many... are wrong. <laughs> Oh, this has gone off the rails quickly. Um, <laughs> do you want to? I was gonna say it's fitting much that, like Joy of Star Wars, <laughs> much like the Joy of Star Wars, actually, where most of our episodes go off the rails quickly because most of them just involve you and Steel insulting me, and me trying my very best to get us back on topic. Um, yes. Right. Okay. The the question I was going to ask before we got uh, derailed with all of Vaughn's men um, was uh, what surprises you most about doing this show, Vaughn. Of Star Wars? Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, I what surprises me about it? I think how much I genuinely really enjoy coming up with these theories. Mm-hmm. Um, we when we had talked about like what this what this podcast would look like when you were bullying me into it. Um, yep. I don't think it really was structured like how it has now come to be and I really love the chance to kind of dive into these historical topics and do a quick history on them and then kind of debate with you guys about the resonances with the Star Wars theory that I put forward Um, and with the audience we've had a lot of really great uh, listener responses to the joy of Star Wars on our Twitter and in the email that have been really great for engagement. And I really, I really like engaging with people on these, these kind of ideas. Um, 
I will also say that I absolutely love that Star Wars, the words Star Wars are on my CV now. And they yep. are not allowed to leave because this is a professional thing I do. I professionally get to speak on Star Wars and I just, I love it so much. Um, so that's really fun. That's really great. Yeah, it's just, it's been a really good time. And I also, I also like, because my undergrad um, history degree is in early American mm. history. So uh, revolution through kind of, well, I say early American, but revolution through uh, 1867-ish. Um, that was my focus then. And I have since, like I did classics and then uh, went into mid 20th century. So I haven't been able to really focus that much on pre 20th century history. Um, we very briefly dive into some like turn of the century stuff here on impressions, but it's been really fun to kind of connect back to something I used to study and really, really love and enjoy mm -hmm. um, and go back to any time in American history that is relevant for the conversation we're having. So that's that's been fun and exciting that I get to kind of touch base again with some earlier roots. How do you find it doing a show with me and Steel? Because Steel is perhaps even a bigger Star Wars fan than you, if that's possible. Whereas oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not as big a fan of Star Wars as you guys. I like it, but I'm not I'm simply not knowledgeable, not as into the world of Star Wars as you. So um how how do you find that dynamic? Um well, I, I adore both of you for different reasons. Um, I love that you've never seen Star Wars, any of them. <laughs> um, Star and Trek, Steel cool. is a <laughs> diehard Star Wars fan. Um, like, having him just talk about Star Wars is a gift to watch and listen to. Um, so that's that's been really wonderful to have this kind of dynamic of like you're more history and steals more Star Wars and then I'm somewhere kind of a little bit in between of like some history and some Star Wars. So it's been really lovely to be able to like bridge those those sides of both me and you guys. And I think we have some really great conversations um, from those different perspectives. Absolutely. On the podcast. Absolutely. Um, and we have an ongoing joke that, um, yeah, I've not actually seen any Star Wars. I've, well, I've seen some Star Wars, but not others. And the, is it a joke? I, I don't mean, think it's a joke. I, I did literally say the other day, should I go watch episode uh, three? And you're like, no, no, don't do that. I like the fact that you've not seen it. So, like, I like that you haven't seen any Star Wars, but you just feel comfortable talking so authoritatively about Star Wars on a Star Wars podcast that you host, Simon. Yep. I would also like to say I don't talk authoritatively on Star Wars in the slightest on the show. <laughs> that is a complete bald-faced lie, I'm like, <laughs> on the parts I've seen, let me give my amateurish opinion on it. And I always preface everything I say with, I don't know Star Wars as much as you. So I'd like to okay. say that once again, you're a fucking liar. Um, we are we are slowly um, indoctrinating Simon into Star Wars by having him watch a couple episodes of Clo Clone Wars for each episode that we do of Joy of Star Wars. Um, so, what are what are you thinking of that? How are you enjoying the 
podcast, Simon? I'm enjoying it. I'm getting to know... I mean, in some ways, they're characters I know because there are literally characters I've seen before, but this time in, in cartoon form and some characters who I've never seen before. And so sort of being placed into a a new world for me and these a lot of these times these are sort of more standalone stories um that are um you can watch an episode or two and and just enjoy that and not have to worry about the fact i haven't seen you know the 300 other episodes of, of clone wars for instance um and so i i really enjoy jumping into that and the fact that they're often tied in a theme to that episode that we're discussing i think that that works really well and is, is very enjoyable for me and I look forward to more episodes. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure to talk with with you and Steele, and I'm I'm always always excited to talk with people about things they're interested in. And in fact, I have an interest in as well. Means it's even more enjoyable for me. Um, I just want to say before we go into the Toby extended universe that uh, yes, I discovered Steele actually. Um, so what? I was I was I was, at, I was at a party and. Um, and Vaughn was there. He was at this party as well. And then I, I, I met this impressive uh, young man and uh, he started talking to me about Batman. And, uh, you know, like you know, I have degrees in history and, and all this. And I, I, I think of myself as someone who's like, you know, who knows some stuff. And he started talking to me about, to me about Batman. It was like I was so shocked by how like coherent and lucid and in, in, in depth that this person was talking to me about this thing that I just, you know, I, I, I had interest in Batman. But... And then, you know, I introduced Steele to, to Vaughn and, and uh, I, I, that's how the podcast start, started. That's actually true. Um, once that's again, not we, true. We, we owe Toby everything. He is, <laughs> he is very much the, uh, the Palpatine uh, the overseer of this Star Wars podcast. So um, thank you, Toby. Thank you for everything. I, I will not refute what you said, Toby, if you comment on the food at this party. How was the food? Uh, the, the food The food was excellent. Um, I, call, I actually called Vaughn's, Vaughn's parents and, and told them that they'd never <laughs> made anything as good as, as she'd, she'd made. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Beautiful. Right. Um, before we, we move over. Simon, into the, Simon, yeah. Simon wasn't at the party because he wasn't invited. That's true. It's, uh, <laughs> we, we, we joke about the fact that Vaughn doesn't like me, but it, it does actually bear out to be the case that Vaughn doesn't genuinely like me. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I live hundred miles of, hundreds of miles away from her. Um, okay. Before we move on to the, the Toby Extended Universe, then, uh, can you just kind of sum up why our listeners should give Joy Star Wars a, a listen to? Yeah. Um, this is the part I'm really good at. <laughs> Hyping our own stuff. Um, it's fun. I, I think it's fun. We have a good time. There are a lot of laughs on it and also a lot of kind of critical thinking opportunities and engagement opportunities. As I said, I really do want to hear from, from other people about what they think about these theories that I'm putting forward. Um, there's, if I may say, a lot to, to learn. I think we cover a lot of kind of ranging topics about American history and obviously in very, very quick, um, simplified terms of like a 20 minute talk on them. 
but I think there, I think there's some merit to the historical discussions that we have. And also we just have a lot of fun. We laugh so much on that podcast and it's a good time. So I would say if that's something you're into, if you like Star Wars, if you like the history that you listen to here, um, give it a shot and see if you don't want to listen for a while. Well, Vaughn, considering how um, how difficult it is for you to promote your own stuff at times, I thought you did very well there. So thank you for that. Um, right. I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> Right, Toby, shall we shall we move on to the world of um, serial killers and also talk about your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with a clip of the Golden Age of Murder podcast. What happened to her was probably what happens to so many women who go out to Los Angeles. You know, she, she wants to be a, a aspiring actress, but she ends up doing this kind of modeling. She found a, an apartment in West uh, West Boulevard, uh, where the uh, you know south, well south of the action of, of the daily grind of job hunting, you know uh, she she could have been a waitress, but she, instead she did modeling probably because it paid more. You know she she had she had been used to going to uh, men's houses to to do some of these kinds of uh, of modeling, and she she's she she might not necessarily be someone who's naturally in a precarious situation, either socially or economically, but because of the nature of California at the time, you know, the 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 the, the potential, the dreams that, that draw people to to the city at the time, she was again in, in you know in, in a situation where she could be victimized by someone like like Harvey Gutman. I think you're three episodes in at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about the podcast, who you do it with, and um, why you ventured into uh, a podcast about murder? Well, I think it's uh, tangentially related to the uh, Pressures of America in the sense that it, it, it kind of covers the same period. Um, in the periods of you know, Pressures of America, the period of the, the growth of conservatism in American politics, and um, there was also, I think, an increase in violence that happened. So part of this is because of, you know, a lack of strong statistics pre-1950 in terms of, of violence and policing. But also it's like, it's, it's well known that, that violence of all kinds in America and in uh, cities of this kind, moving away from the politics to law and order and and uh, violence of a number of different kinds, uh, violence increases into the 70s and 80s. And that has a huge effect on, on politics. In many ways, we, we've, we've covered this in part on uh, Pressures of America, but on the golden age of murder, we focus in on one specific kind of uh, violent action, which is serial murder, which also increases significantly in this period and actually drops off you know so it, it, it reaches a peak in the in the reagan era and and, in, and then into the late 80s and early 90s and then starts dropping off which is a very strange thing i think um 
So what we do is we cover the major serial killers of that period, but also more broadly, we're trying to understand why this happened. Why is there an increase in serial killing in this period? Uh, and why the increase in serial killing drops off. So this is a very interesting and unique th thing and pattern that, that develops. Uh, we borrow quite heavily, actually, from a book by Peter Voronsky, his book Sons of Cain, which really attempts to um, clear and cover a, a history of serial murder all the way back to the Neolithic period and then comes to America and America takes its central focus towards the latter half of the book and to understand why this phenomenon of serial killing, which has been with us, you know, since hominids have walked on two feet, really increased uh, in the 1960s and the 1970s uh, before hitting its, its, its apogee, the apogee of, of, of murder in the 1980s. Um, yeah, so that's that's really why what the, the central problem of the podcast and and what we're doing, what we're really doing on the podcast from a episode to, on an episode to episode basis is covering uh, specific killers and specific periods. So on episode one, we went in with the glamour girl killer Harvey Gultman, who was uh, from Denver and went to California as a photographer and used his moonlighting as a photographer to to kill women kind of a, a small almost incidental figure really but he was kind of a precursor to the kinds of of killers that would take over uh in the 60s and 70s many killers that that many people who who many people know many people who uh, even just like me, I think um, I would just introduce the the co-host uh, Simeon, who who is the the other Simon, or on the other <laughs> podcast, the 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 first Simeon and uh, Simon is the second Simeon on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, Simeon is he's a writer, writes on a range of topics, but he's really interested in in uh, murder in this in this period, and. Um, yeah, very knowledgeable. He's very, very, very knowledgeable on, on, on this topic. In fact, uh, you know, what's different? I think here we, you know, we have we have a historian, we have Vaughan, but uh, we all do some research and, you know, put the episodes to get together. But I think more of the focus is actually a lot of this stuff is coming from Simeon's head because he's done a lot of the research already, um, which is quite helpful. Um, and uh, so in, in, in a significant amount of detail, we talk about serial killers and their, their, their killings, but also in, in focusing on periods. Like the first episode was more conventional, you know, the glamour girl killer, the lonely hearts killer, Harvey Goldman. But the second episode was the, the werewolf and the vampire. We looked into the medieval period to, to find out uh, the archetypes of serial murders going all the way back uh, to the medieval period and the medieval periods of serial killers, m much of the serial killing literature and um, m much of the accounts in court cases were about werewolves, actually. They, they weren't 
killers. Uh, people thought that the people who were monstrous enough to commit these acts were actually werewolves or vampires. And you have the the the, the difference between they, they called it a process of lycanthropy. So every description of a, of a serial murder that happens um, is, is a description of someone actually killing someone, killing a, killing a child or killing a woman, but turning into a, a werewolf, into a beast in the, during the state of that event. And there's many accounts of, of this. Very rarely do you have serial killing that happened in that time. And it's just described as a, as a, as a, a, an evil tyrannical man or, or, you know, someone who's gone crazy. It, it was always described as a, as a, as a, as a werewolf. And, uh, you know, we, we found that very interesting. We've tried to dig um, quite deeply into the psychology of, of serial murder. Um, you know, like what, what, why do some people have this uh, maybe a predilection towards violence of this, of this kind we found really interesting things like um, the the idea of the lonely sort of serial killer is is I think is kind of a myth. We we found out that uh, often serial killers are people who are over socialized, so they internalize um, social norms to a very high level, and so they pick people that society has deemed to be less than human, or you know, like minority groups or prostitutes and. Uh, and that's often why, the, you know, you find that serial killers are often these kind of petty bourgeois guys and technical uh, forms of employment who, who seem on the surface level to be, you know, reasonably socialized members of society and communities. And then, you know, they're committing these these kinds of acts. So, yeah, I think we it's really a, a history of, uh, of serial murder going all the way back to prehistory, but focusing really on the heights of serial killing. Um, and on the third episode, we talked about Germany and um, really focused on this guy called P Peter Critton, who was uh, the, the vampire of Dusseldorf. And he was kind of fucked up. He, what he really needed was to see the blood of people to, to get off. And uh, he couldn't get off in any other way. We, we find out that often serial killing is linked to quite deeply uh, strained sexual paraphilias. Like everyone has a paraphilia. As Vaughan said, you know, she doesn't want to kink shame anyone. As, and, uh, <laughs> and I interpolated on the podcast and said the same thing. But, uh, you know, men tend to have uh, more paraphilias and uh, serial killers actually often have the, the, the paraphilia attached to their need sexual need and his sexual need was about blood and then you know we, we try to we ask the questions that normal chronologists ask you know is it is experience is it uh, environment and childhood or or is there a kind of thing in, within people's brains that gives them a, a predilection to those kinds of things and and you know often uh, we'll have a difference of opinion on that for me really with peter curtin you know like he, he drowned some some young boys when he was like eight and uh, he had a very difficult childhood, but it really did seem like he was almost like this kind of like demon, like a, a ghoul who just, who existed to destroy. Like there was this thing like he, he wanted, he, he like, he killed this, this child. And then he, um, he went to a cafe next door 
to wait for people to come and discover it. And he, he got off on that. And so, you know, usually when people sort of sit and watch these serial killers documentaries, they're often about people who are normal, um, entrenched in society, which Peter Curtin was to an extent, to a certain extent, but who you can, who are dangerous and different, but similar enough to average everyday people that you can at least say, well, that's terrible that he did that. He's a he's a really bad person. But then you know, doing a, a podcast on serial killers, you often find that there's some people who are so different from normal human beings that you often wonder if, you know, if they can be judged at all, or, or are they like some sort of like, uh, over evolved form of like snake or reptile or crocodile, something like that. So that's that's really interesting. And just to bring it back to Impressions of America, it, it really is in the same in the same period. Um, some of the same kinds of uh, very conservative changes uh, in American society, when it, especially when it comes to uh, uh, rights and um, and the sort of more atomized society that emerges from the seventies, uh, kind of contribute to this. Uh, the, the, the increase in in highways, the increase in uh, what uh, Peter Vronsky called less than dead. Uh, people less than human people increasing um runaways and then um you know young young women who are in sort of more precarious positions where you know they you know many people certainly enjoy uh sex work or you know think of that as their as a, as a, as a profession but many people were forced into that situation uh because of difficulties in, in their in their home life um people who engaged in you know some of the sort of the harder drugs that like emerged in the hippie period but left home and didn't have uh, and became transient and didn't have uh, so, so the social networks that they they held before and those, those people actually become kind of fodder in in these unique and rare instances for these 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 serial killers um, and who were often actually the sons of uh, World War II veterans as well. And uh, there, there's a link there between the, the sort of the, 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 you know, that many of them come out of the silent and, and baby boomer generation, often baby boomer generation, who were um, the sons of veterans. And, uh, and it often has a link to having not very you know sort of close relationships with their fathers because their fathers were this distracted by the you know the horrors they had seen in world war ii especially in the pacific front um and then like an, an, an increase actually in the post-war in the in the very um immediate post-war period of of of, of glamour uh magazines that actually had a lot of like um torture porn uh, a lot of magazines that um kind of dehumanized women and uh, and things like that, which a lot of these uh, young people, often World War Two, the children of World War Two veterans, uh, collected uh, and shared. And were part of their um, sort of sexual development, which is you know is very important for for for, for young men. And uh, and yeah, and so it's. I think the the, the I think if trying to get at the podcast, the podcast is about serial killing. Uh, in the post-war period, why it happened, who were the key figures, and uh, and uh, and why it ended uh, as well. Well, thanks for that, Toby. That was a really nice summary of, of what podcast's about, and um, yeah, why you should go listen. Um, I have to say, when Toby told us that 
he was doing a podcast with Simeon. Um, I was half expecting to listen to the first episode and hear Toby trying to put on a voice to disguise it because I thought clearly that's just a fake person that Toby has made up to anger <laughs> to anger me. And uh, but no, it would appear as if Simeon is not only a real person; he's also very knowledgeable on on this particular subject. Um, yeah, and also that if you if you like the Minds of uh, Madness uh, podcast, it's it's very similar but with, with a more historical focus. And uh, if you listen to the Minds of Madness podcast, there'll be a a little advert for our podcast on there as well. Uh, oh, soon. fantastic. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I, I, I suppose you're going to have a, a few more episodes coming in, in the next few weeks and months then. Is that oh, yeah, yeah. Ne- next uh, few weeks we'll have uh, some episodes. So on, 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 on characters that many people will know, like Edmund Kemper, but oh, right. yeah. told with a, uh, with a slightly different focus than a more generic Edmund Kemper um, podcast or, or, or documentary fascinating well um, that's called the golden age murder and is available wherever podcasts are available um, I suppose uh, we should probably move on um, to the last podcast which we're going to discuss today which is probably going to be a lot quicker to talk about considering um, it doesn't exist yet um, <laughs> um, as you may have heard from um, our previous chat most of the things that Vaughn ends up doing, she ends up doing out of spite or because she got bullied into doing it. And both things are true with um, another podcast, which we're looking to do, looking to do, um, which uh, is called um, Hollywood in Focus and is going to be uh, a little um, film podcast that we're going to do, film history podcast that Vaughn and I are going to do. Um, we have not fully fleshed out its structure, but um, Vaughn, do you want to just tell our audience a little bit about what the podcast might be about once we get around to doing it and uh, why it might be worth giving a listen to. Yeah, so... Um, we want to talk about the bullying first, if you want. Yeah, I was going to. So Simon does this thing where he, he messages me, I bet you don't have time for another podcast. <laughs> and then I say, hey, fuck you what kind of podcast um and then, and then that, he went that's, that's think, toxic masculinity right <laughs> that's that very much toxic <laughs> to be fair i'm only doing this devon because um I, I know she does actually want me to do these things uh, it's, it's not it's not it's, it's not completely um i mean von did actually say i was actually thinking of doing a, a film history podcast anyway so um great minds and all that yeah we yes um Simon Simon had mentioned I that he didn't think that I had time for another podcast uh, and that Which it would be fun. True. I don't, <laughs> but that it would be fun to do one on Hollywood. And I had actually been thinking about that for for a couple weeks or months at that point, um, because I I really would like to justify more of my time of looking into other areas of Hollywood. I'm very pigeonholed into. Um, the mid-century, and I love that, but but it is quite a contained and um, isolated era that I that I study so rigorously. So I really wanted an excuse to look more at other parts of Hollywood, um, and that's what we're going to be doing for Hollywood in Focus. The kind of central idea of it would be that it would be smaller releases 
Um, not a consistent one like Joy of Star Wars has become and like Impressions is, but rather doing quick kind of three or five episode series um, to release over a short amount of time and then have a bit of a break between them. And each of those kind of series would have a different focus on either decades of developments in Hollywood uh, with some kind of twist to set us apart from other podcasts and that twist is TBD. Um, (laughs) But we're going to look into the kind of moves and waves of Hollywood and how things developed and why they developed. And some of those reasons are deeply political. Some of them are deeply racist. Some of them are deeply misogynistic. Some of them are just technical technological advances. Um, And there are ramifications for all of these things on kind of American history and American culture as well. So we're gonna take a look at those sorts of things. Um, An example would be the shift into sound in the late 1920s and how that affects, uh, or sorry, um, that's the shift into color is late 1920s, but, but how these things kind of affect Hollywood and what you can do with film and how that gets us to a point where now we have blockbusters and Marvel and cinematic universes and all of those kinds of things. Um, what the uh, integration of color on screen meant for cinemas and distribution models, um, cinemas that didn't necessarily have the equipment to show a film in color, how did that affect their revenues and more widely the culture? Um, were the cinemas that could afford those <clears throat> that machinery, uh, were they in wealthier areas? And does that have a kind of class and um, race and other kind of impact on American culture at different points in American history? Um, Yes, it does. (laughs) So those are the kinds of things that we'd be looking at on Hollywood in Focus. And it's really just an excuse to get to talk about film more, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you were right, um, the jazz singer came out in 1927, which is obviously um, the first feature-length uh, motion picture oh, with, with recording. So you, you were, as always, fun. you were right. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a chance. I mean, I love talking about film history. Um, I studied a little bit of this at university, although nothing like, like Vaughn has done, but um, I, I find it fascinating. It's something I'm interested in and something I, I sort of look into in my own spare time. So to have someone... Um, like Vaughn to talk about this with I think will be a really um, really fun exercise and I'm very much looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to kind of workshopping um, ideas for episodes and, and seasons and trying to sort of figure that out and um, yeah I think it's it's going to be a really fun time and it also gives me a chance to um, bully Vaughn into watching um, some films that she hasn't seen as well which I'm looking forward to doing um, because I'm when we've done episodes of impressions where we've sort of expanded around films that talk about like we did the cities on film for instance which was a really fun series for us to do it was it was really enjoyable talking through those films but also discovering new films that we hadn't seen before and then talking about those on the podcast and so being able to sort of extrapolate that sort of um, energy um, will be will be fun to do in a Hollywood history episode as well as the actual history around it as well I'm also looking forward to being able to talk about individual films or directors or um, genres as well 
Yeah, and well, that's be like, that's a good um, episodes on 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 specific movies. Though. Um, I mean, I, there, there could be. Sorry, Bon, on you go. Well, yeah. Okay, so two things. Um, one, I do think that we might use some movies as kind of jumping off points. Mm. Um, to talk about all of these things, um, like the sound of no, um, singing in the rain. Sorry, mm-hmm. ooh, I'm all over the place right now. Singing in the rain is about the the introduction of sound to Hollywood. So that's a 1950s view looking backwards on how things had changed in Hollywood. And I think that's a really fun one to be able to talk about um, all of these things changing then and then also changes in the 1950s that uh, led to a film like Singing in the Rain being made uh, in, I believe, 52. And that gets into all sorts of like political ramifications and HUAC and all of that kind of history, as well as being able to have this retrospective look from inside the industry on the industry itself. Um, So I do think we'll frame some of the episodes on films individually. And then also, I mean, there are only so many decades and kind of eras of Hollywood. I think there are about nine that I would demarcate, um, nine eras of Hollywood and different phases and things with kind of loose parameters. But after that, or even in between that, as we're going through this history, we will also do spotlights on certain directors and uh, direction styles, even things as specific as the the kind of hooks, like director's hooks. So you get like the Kubrick stare. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be doing some things like that and talking more widely about... Um, how the film industry can kind of foster these individual artists who aren't independent artists, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And Toby, I think don't worry. It, be, I was, sorry, I was going to say it's it's going to be this kind of micro and macro history attempt to look at Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly what Bond said. I was also just going to make a joke that um, once we get around to doing our episode on heat, we'll get you on the show, Toby, for that one. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm going to be on episodes in the 1950s and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, can, uh, we can definitely have you on for, for episodes. And if nothing else, I, I'm looking forward to um, uh, maybe some arguments breaking out over different interpretations of film. I think that'd be fantastic. Um Right. Okay. So that that's Hollywood in focus. We we've not recorded a single second of that yet, and we're we're still formulating our ideas on it. But um, every podcast that that we think of, we we make everyone uh, every. So single. I'm not even going to, uh, you know, I'm just going to slightly nod towards another podcast here. But every podcast we say we'll make, we make. Just I'm just. <laughs> There, there, there might have. I was going to say there, there might times. be. Sorry, only go. Go back. ahead. You no, go. I was just, I was just going to say that sometimes there are projects that involves parts of history which don't get off the ground, and I won't go into any more than that. But you know, sometimes podcasts don't progress the way you'd expect, and I'm sure Toby would have some views on that. Um, sorry, sorry, Van, on you go. Gonna say that you two have been talking about for at least two years doing a podcast on just your love of Nixon, where you two just talk about how much you love Nixon. Yeah. So where's yeah. that one, guys? Uh, that's the press's remark, I think. Yeah, I think 
the fact that you went away for like a week and we immediately did an episode on Richard Nixon on film, I think should indicate that this podcast. Yeah, and, is- and initially I was like, well, you know, this 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 podcast is really ropey, but I went back to it and it's pretty good. And uh, it's a fun it's one to do. Consi- I mean, most most of our episodes these days, we just get on to research and then we just say yes or no to the thing she says. So the fact that we managed to do it without her, I think we should feel very proud of ourselves. Don't we? Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, agreed. It's it's great if you can get an expert on to talk about your chosen subject. I mean, you've got Simeon, and obviously Vaughn does history here, and then Steele does all the important work on the Joy of Star Wars. So, you know. <laughs> Damn it, Simon. He does. He does a lot of important work on Joy of Star Wars. He really lends a very impressive uh, viewpoint, and also just has, like, a fucking database of knowledge about just oh. random shit that George Lucas it- has said. I was going to say, it's quite scary to just say random things to Steele and then just watch him go. I've gathered experts on a range of different things. <laughs> History, on journalism, on Star Wars, and, and art, and, and a range of different things. Experts, and they've done the thing I said they should do. That's like your I'm just saying. Were your conservative was... think tank? <laughs> conservative <laughs> think tank experts and <laughs> yep. former Iraq war veterans, I've... experts, and art experts as well. Anyway, <laughs> uh... I was going to say we could have a separate podcast about um, us talking around the idea of art experts um, and possible <laughs> or not possible podcasts that have come from that. Um, <laughs> it is true. Toby has enlisted an army of um, intelligent speakers to talk about a wide range of subjects, and we are reaping the benefits just like we are with Joy Star Wars when he discovered steel. So thank you, Toby. Um, I discovered right. steel. You did. I did. It did. And other people too. <sighs> it's very. If you want to imagine what it was like. Uh, imagine a sort of Dirk Diggler situation. It was very similar to how uh, <laughs> House Steel was discovered. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I saw him and I thought, this guy's dick must. <laughs> and it's, you know, I mean, you guys have uh, reaped the benefits of the. We, we have it in more ways than one. Um, right. Okay. Is there anything else we'd like to talk about other than Toby's skills of discovery? Uh, before we thank you for going in that direction nothing i've discovered is not turned into a podcast nothing (laughs) it's true the 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 you you think it you think of it and it happens um you are you're truly the godfather of the the impressions uh, realm toby so we, we thank you for your contributions okay is there anything else we want to say other than to bask in Toby's excellence one more time, um, or sh- shall we leave it there? Um, do we have any more thoughts on Doctor Oz or anyone else before we finish up? If we need, <sighs> if we need any more thoughts, someone who I discovered will say them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. This has gone off the rails again. Um, Toby Vaughn Steele, whoever else has been discovered by Toby, thank you very much for today's show. Um, and thank you all for listening if you've actually made it this far. So uh, we will have another episode for you in the new future and it probably won't involve art history. So uh, until then, goodbye. Goodbye.
What? Bye. Bye. You know, like when I in, when I interviewed Vaughn, um, I, I, you know, like with you know, like we're all first meetings, interviews, dates, and all this. You know, I held something back, and and what I held was uh, Simon uh, and his uh, bullying. I held that back, but you know, you did. Now, you did. now uh, she's aware of it, and it, it takes time. You know, you hold it back. Like in the beginning, I had Simon act in a certain way, and. You know, it, it was all smooth sailing, but then you know he started to reveal his true, true personality. It, it's. I think it's only fair that after two years together and Avon that you truly understand what a monster I am. Um, right, manipulative, which, vindictive. You know? <laughs> so, so many descriptive words could be used to describe all the me. good ones. All the good ones. No wonder you're drawn to me. Um, right. <laughs> Fuck you. It always starts out sunny, you know, and then it ends up with the <laughs> jokes in the DMs about. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm. yeah. This is being recorded. Let's see what part of this makes it into the, uh, the end of the podcast when I cut this all together. <laughs>